This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I am your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks so much for clicking play on the pod. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. I hope you're all well and enjoying the beginnings of spring. It's bluebell season, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> I'm loving it. Hamza Tahib's got some lovely set of bluebells, which sounds like an innuendo. <laughs> it's not. There's bluebell flowers everywhere. Mixture of English, mixture of Spanish. It's all very nice. And isn't it great that the weather is finally improving and we can go out and feel a little bit more comfortable out and about and not be freezing with 20 layers on, struggling that if you fall over you won't be able to get back up. Like, it's just not, I like this time of year. However, we are in some need of some rain in London. I don't know about the rest of the UK or wherever you are around the world. In London, we need some rain. And water my plants more than ever. So it's, you know, what happens to these April showers? They've gone. They've gone. Climate crisis, no more April showers, May showers, I hope, I hope. But let's get on to some positivity, it's time for 60 Second Nature News, which is the new jingle, apparently. (laughs) People that have never listened to the show before, 60 Second Nature News is a little segment where I pick four stories from around the world to do with wildlife, conservation and the people within that industry um, to share a bit of positivity in as quick of time as I can, so it gives us a bit of a positive motivational boost before we get on with the episode so let's take a deep breath clear the throat let's go Lord Howe Island in Australia shows species bounce back after the largest rodent eradication took place after the last rat was seen 15 months ago species have started bouncing back including the wood hen which has doubled in numbers to 440 The programme, which was controversial at first, involved removing over 200,000 vermin which were not native to the island and that had caused species decline. After disappearing in the 17th century, Britain's wild crane population is now up to 64 pairs. Barcelona is in the process of creating 783,300 square metres of green open space, including an area around the landmark Sagrada Familia Basilica and 49,000 square metres of green streets in an attempt to improve city and urban biodiversity. And finally, this week showed the celebration of the Whitley Fund for Nature Awards, a wonderful event rewarding and highlighting people on the ground in global conservation. Follow them on social media to see and help celebrate the winners. And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. There we go, that is 60 Second Nature News. Now on to today's show. This week I am talking to entomologist, author and presenter... George McGavin. I was super excited to talk to George and you know what me and George went back and forth on an email trying to figure out what to talk about and and in the end I said let's just have a chat. I really wanted to just chat to him about how 
he feels about wildlife and nature within the UK, what's changed over his career, have things got better, have things got worse, Where does he think we're going in the right direction, does he think we've gone 20 steps backwards. I kind of just wanted to have a chat with George as someone that has worked in the industry before, you know, when I was a wee nipper, <laughs> when I was just a kid. And I wanted to say to him, George, when I was a kid, was it better? Or do I just remember it being slightly better than it is now? It's interesting when we get two people from different generations to talk about the same thing. We end up learning more, a more real situation about the current state of nature compared to what it was and in what direction we're going in now. So I really enjoyed this chat with George. It does get a bit heavy in places, but I feel like me and George keep it light. And excitingly, Myself and George will be meeting up when I'm next in Berkshire and going for a bit of a walk. So maybe we can do an on-location episode in Swinley Forest as we probably go searching for adders or butterflies. I don't know what, but it was an absolute pleasure to talk to George. So I hope you enjoy this episode. The State of Nature with George McGavin. Well, George, welcome to Into the Wild. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. How are you? Thank you very much. I am absolutely fine. Thank you. Lovely. Have you had a good day in the depths of Berkshire how's it been weather-wise uh, yeah it's been a bit wet actually we it was very nice in the morning we had a high of 13 degrees which is almost balmy really and uh I was thinking of popping out and having a look at the insects to see what was flying but then we had a massive great rainstorm so I think we've just had that in London yeah. I think that's just come out. We had a huge hailstorm, and the lightning and thunderstrike we had even made me jump. And I'm not. Oh, no, we, didn't, we didn't have that. No, no it was just one though. Just one random yeah. thunder clash, and then gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, just to keep you awake. <laughs> just <laughs> the, the, the planet sense that I was getting tired. It was like, wake up, you've got a podcast to do. Um, yeah. But it's lovely to have you on the show, uh, George. Really excited to talk to you today. Let's start with the first and most obvious question that we always start with on Into the World is, can you start by telling us who you are and what is it you do? Yep, I can do that. I'm, uh, I'm George McGavin and I'm an entomologist. <laughs> I feel like this is a, you know, a speed dating. Hello. <laughs> I'm George Gavin. I'm an entomologist. I like insects. What are your other hobbies, George? Well, no, I don't have any other hobbies. No, just, of course you don't. You're an entomologist. Just, just entomology. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, I went through the normal route. I mean, fascinated by insects, by the natural world, as a kid, probably as early as I can recall. Really, and it occurred to me that that if you wanted to understand everything about your surroundings, you, you yeah. had to understand about the natural world. And although history and, and music and English were very exciting and all that, it, it didn't really inform you much about the world. Mm. And the real world, as I saw it, was the world of animals and plants. So it was pretty obvious that I would go on to do a degree in zoology at Edinburgh University, then went on to do a PhD at Imperial College in entomology, ended up at Oxford where I taught and did research and looked after the amazing insect collections at Oxford for 25 years. And then one Friday afternoon on the way home, I decided that I would go full-time as a television presenter. Bam. And <laughs> what happened on that, the way home? That, well, I, yeah, it, was, it really was. It really was like that. I was on the way home and I'd been, I think I'd had quite a bit of teaching that day. And I realised that, you know, if I had a, a class of tutorial class for, for entomology, I might have an audience of four, mm. you know, maximum. 
in the in the old days it was always a one to one class. Yeah. If I did a cruise ship talk, which I don't do now because they're very environmentally unfriendly, um, I might have a an audience of four hundred. And if you did something on the telly, you might get four million. Yeah. And I I'd realised for some time that I had been preaching to the converted for quite a long <laughs> yes, time. Yes, of course. Uh, well, of course, yeah. And you know, are you adding any value added? You know, not really. So I decided it might be better to get out and to do a bit of TV presenting. Which I did, and I actually resigned that night. I got home, had a beer, and I wrote my resignation <laughs> that evening, handed it in the next morning. Amazing. Yes, it was amazing, especially as I hadn't checked on what the pension arrangements were. <laughs> which was the admin pretty... had not been done. <laughs> yeah, the admin had not been done, and I would recommend anybody with that sort of thought in your mind Check the pension arrangements <laughs> before you hand your resignation in. That is, that's the most adult bit of like kind of life advice I think we've ever had on the mm. show. <laughs> mm. it, it worked out okay happily, but I, I, I won't bore you with the details. <laughs> well, that's amazing though. Just so one day you were just like, you know, I could, I could reach so many more people that are not already on my wavelength if I went into TV presenting. Yeah, yeah, Incredible. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, lots of people at Oxford said, you're nuts, you're crazy, you know, it'll never work, it's a fickle industry, all of which are probably true. Uh, <laughs> and don't come crawling back here, we, we won't take you back. Except, no, I didn't, they didn't say that. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought, well, if I don't try it now, I, I won't ever know. In fact, I, I've had 15 years now mm. of, of a second career. And to have one dream career, which was the Oxford job, Mm. And then to follow it with what is actually a second dream career That's incredible. is is pretty lucky, really. I'm oh. after a third now. You're after yeah. a third? Yeah, what, yeah, I'm after a third. Be? Well, you know, authorship, books, audio books, rally driving. No, I Just think, something I think completely that's, unconnected. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. No, no. Strictly. Strictly become come a, dancing. There we go. Become a ballroom dancer. Actually, I, I would love to do it, uh, if only because I, I would mean. be the first person to fall over, break a hip or a leg and actually <laughs> actually be taken off the floor on a stretcher. It's never happened. I mean, we, we, it will be memorable. We'll oh, yeah. go down in oh, history. It would be memorable <laughs> in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really hope someone from the BBC is listening um, that well, we can get you so in. Do I. So do I. <laughs> um, well, that's amazing. So I've got to ask you this, though, because obviously, like, your career that you – well, your first dream career – you know, looking after the the insects at Oxford. Then, so what? You clearly have that love for the natural world. What is your what? What do you love most about the natural world? What is it that kind of drew you in? It's what support the, the realization that this is this is what supports you. This is this is all around you. I mean, if you're a mm -hmm. six year old kid and you look out, what do you see? You see trees and grass and animals, and you go on holiday. You see rock pools and coastline and yeah. and you want to understand it i wanted to understand how it worked you know how does all this stuff work and that seems and it's such a big job it's something that will keep you entertained and amused and educated for a lifetime many lifetimes many lifetimes and uh, and so i just never ever considered uh, a career in anything else now here here's something that some of your listeners might not know, but of course, as a kid, I had a, a really appalling stammer. I mean, it was off the scale. I, I know it's becoming very fashionable now among 
celebrities to own up to having all kinds of um, you know incapacities yes, of yeah. which of which stammers feature fairly largely actually uh, but i i really did have a cracker and the thought of basically becoming a lecturer mm. <laughs> and then a television presenter <laughs> both of jobs require a certain degree of facility yeah in speaking uh is almost unbelievable in fact it was, mine was so bad at the age of 14 i didn't speak for a year Wow. Uh, which some people some people might regret the passing of those days, you know. <laughs> what, a whole year? Yeah, well, there, there was no point in saying anything. I mean, even at home. That's I a fair point. Uh, <laughs> I didn't speak. Jeez. You know, and I would sort of wander around Edinburgh, and if anybody asked me something that I really had to answer, or, well, I, mm. I would pretend I was mute, you know, and they'd go, oh, oh, sorry, you cannot speak. <laughs> no, <Wow. laughs> they always assume you're, you're also... A bit slow, you know. It's... Yeah, yeah. But that must <laughs> well, have been like when you when you decided to get into presenting. Then obviously, what? So what age did you lose well, your stammer? Well, I you, well you don't lose it. That's the thing. Oh, Ryan. Okay. You never lose a stammer. It's not something you can cure yourself of. And all these uh, things that claim to cure stammers, it's a load of absolute boo hockey. Um, you can't. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very interesting developmental. Uh, not an illness. A, it's, it's it's a wiring issue. There, there's mm. something to do with the wiring of your brain, uh, and and I would love to make a program. And if anybody is listening from the DUC, <laughs> I have pitched the idea of making a program called "The Science of Stammering" about three times, and nobody's picked it up. But it, the, the, there is a lot of interesting stuff about it. Why is it usually males? Uh, why can you always sing? I mean, there's a history of this. You know. Uh, opera singers, brilliant opera singers who had a terrible stammer. and uh, um, we've all heard about it. Anyway, it's a anyway, it's a it's an interesting problem. But uh it's not one that you would immediately think, I know I'll become a presenter. And I didn't really get to the point where I was on top of it, probably till I was about forty, I suppose really. I mean and not, I still have a problem, not every day, but there are days when it's really bad and I yeah. just can't say certain words or I don't want to talk at all. Other days when you're on a roll or you're doing a, a, a big... I mean, bizarrely, I love a big audience, which is, you would think... That's interesting. Crazy. I, I, do you know what? I agree with that. From a comedy point of view, people used to say to me, do you get nervous in front of like big mm -hmm. audiences? I'm like, no, it's the opposite. No, small have... audiences. Oh, my God. Yeah. An audience of three... Is a it's killer. Terrifying. Yeah, because is you're a like, killer. It's so much more personal. I'd rather 300, have two, three thousand. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, excellent. The because the energy's there. The vibes there. Absolutely. You can yeah. feed off the audience. You can. You, you also you know, don't need all of them. Like if you if no, you've you three thousand people. Do you know what I mean? Like especially <laughs> from a comedy point of view, if I have three thousand people, I make fifteen hundred laugh. That's, that's still all you an need. Impact. What? But if I've got five people, <laughs> oh, that's difficult. That's difficult. What What's the largest audience you've ever spoken to? Um. Come on, come on, come on. I think come it was a thousand. Me. I think I did a thousand. Oh, Ryan! Mm. I've just beaten you. What have you got? I, I did the Women's Institute AGM. <laughs> no, don't laugh. Don't, this, this was a tough no, gig. Sorry, that is This so... was a tough gig, my, my friend. I can imagine. <laughs> this was the same group who booed Blair off the stage. Because he he went all political and, and, and he was told that, you know, anyway, it, it was a few years after Blair. Uh, 6,000 in the Leeds Arena. Wow. wow. Yeah. 6,000 from 6, the Women's Institute. I did a gig in front of the Women's Institute. Really? Mm. I only spoke well, it was a local Women's Institute in Surbiton. Was it legal? 
<laughs> I was told it was. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was none of my business. <laughs> no, but I mean, the huge energy of 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 a crowd of six thousand is just massive. I can, I can, yeah, I would absolutely love to. Again, yeah. if there's any live bookers, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <listening>. <laughs> if if we could sort me and George out with a live gig, that's <laughs> it. Seven thousand. Let's do that. Yeah, who who needs cocks and ends? We, we could do. We could do this. <laughs> we could do this. McGavin and Dalton. Live. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, live <laughs> at a, a theatre near you. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, let's talk about let's talk about nature. So, what I thought would be good is having you on the show, and you've had this incredible career. I would love to talk about kind of nature and natural science, how it's changed, or what changes you've oh, noticed God. from your career. Well, it, it's depressing. It's depressing. I I hope you're up for this, Ryan, because basically when I was doing my degree at Edinburgh, you know, I was learning about the natural world, doing a degree, da-da-da, mm. wonderful, wonderful. And I imagined in my naivety yeah. that there would come a time when humans would describe, would know all the species on Earth, when we would categorise and mm. systematise it and know what everything was. Never going to happen. Not yeah. only is it never going to happen, because there are so few of us and all the rest of it, is that we're losing species faster yeah. than we could ever describe them. So mm. habitats in the 60-odd years that I've been around doing this stuff, we have lost indescribably large amounts of wilderness. And mm. with it, indescribably large amounts of species. The reality I have re realised now as I get older is that the majority of species on Earth will come and go without us ever knowing they were there. Oh, it's mad, isn't it? Such a it mad is, I, utterly mad. And and although I've seen at first hand some of the animals whose bones I drew in Edinburgh in the museum, yeah. uh, and it gives me some joy, the majority of those animals are now incredibly rare and they're either in reserves or they're in zoos or they're mm -hmm. in some other... They're, they're not free-ranging in the wild yeah and we're asking questions that i never imagined when i was 21 we'd be asking it you know it's a bit like saying there are 200 owl species on earth you know well right which which one of these owls do we really need which ones are not pulling their weight come on really? let's decide let's decide which of the owls are the weakest link which ones can we lose which Jesus. ones do we really need to keep? Well, it, it, it's that's what that's what we're effectively doing. We're asking, you know, we're we're trying to pick and choose, you know, what species like a priority we, list almost. We we need to prioritize. It's like uh, triage, you know, mm. and it, it's appalling. And of course, the whole problem is that we have, well. This, uh, folks will argue with me over this, uh, I'm sure, and there are, there are arguments about this have been going on for decades. You know, when I was born, there were 2.4 billion human beings on Earth. There are now 8 billion. Now, <laughs> okay, some of those 8 billion are taking way more of their fair share of energy and stuff than the rest of the 8 billion, but nevertheless, there are 8 billion of us, and there may be 10 billion. Now, some people are saying, well, actually, hang on a minute, the, the birth rate is falling, you know, we, we should be glad about this. But actually, if you look at it, when 
A country's birth rate starts to fall, like Japan, for instance, or other countries. They go, oh, no, no, do something about it. Quick, have babies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can't have it. Because the whole of the current model of economy that, that is based on consumers. Mm-hmm. It's based on having people to buy <laughs> they don't really need. <laughs> Well, it's true. Yeah, it is, it true. is so true. It is. It is. Uh, you know, they, and, and so with a, a falling base of consumers, the whole capitalist model, it just falls apart at the seams. Yeah. It ain't going to work. And, of course, it's not going to work. And this is where we are now. We're at the point where if we're going to survive in any sort of form without totally destroying the support system which supports us and all other species on Earth, we're going to have to think of a new way of doing things. But it's so entrenched, it's so ingrained um, that growth, economic growth, is almost it's a, it's like, that's it. Well, you can't have economic growth. You can't have, well, you can't have sustainable growth mm. because the two words cannot go together. You can be sustainable or you can grow. But in a world with a finite amount of stuff, you can't do both. Well, I think it was Sophie Pavel that said on the show on here only a few weeks ago was that, you know, in reference of talking about, and, you know, this is kind of a trigger word on the podcast, but HS2 in this country, whilst talking about that, Sophie said that we, we can't have economic growth anymore without the environment running alongside it. You just can't. You, you, oh, right. If we're going to grow, like you said, and have any hope of sustainability especially in the Western world, especially where the resource usage is so high, the wasteful resource usage is so high that I think we've got to, everything's got to have the environment running alongside it. Otherwise it's it's just, you can't have that growth. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, She's absolutely correct. Anything we do, if we don't take account of the natural world, we will come unstuck just like every other civilization that has come unstuck mainly because they ran out of something from the natural world, yeah. whether it was water or trees or whatever. They they just were too successful. They just, I mean, you know, any animal in the world is regulated by something. Mm-hmm. We are not. And you might, you might say, well, well, what about cancer and infectious diseases? Well, they haven't done a brilliant job so far. I mean, even the Black Death only, if you, if you show a graph of the increase of, Homo sapiens mm. over the last you know few thousand years. There's a little dip. There's a little dip, <laughs> thanks to Black Death, you know, um, and then it just goes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, then, then it carries on with with great speed. Business um, as usual. Yeah, I, I think so. You, you know, when your career first began, what were if we look at like it's, it's focusing on the UK? What were the challenges for nature when your career first started? Were they similar to what we see today? It was just after the war, of course. So I was born in 54, so the war, war was over. But it, they were ramping up. They were ramping up food production. This was the beginning of what I would say the beginning of the end. Mm. Uh, that, you know, you, you had to feed people with affordable food. They'd been on a poorish d- d- diet for, for ages. And now this was the great revolution we were going to grow masses of food and take over land for agriculture and it was going to be all great well of yeah. course yeah that fine 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 and housing was required and all the rest of it and gradually we got back on our feet 
but that's really when it started um and it's just gone on from there so we're losing uh wilderness this is what people don't seem to realize wilderness wild habitats and i'm not saying that much of the british isles is actually wild because it's not i mean it's a (laughs) A long history of being abused and used yeah. but you know w- wilderness has its place and we know it of its value and so much of it is being lost to well to roads golf courses farmland you know all the rest of it and you know housing as well now that there, there simply is no space for nature to thrive in mm. i mean in a survey that was done only a couple of years ago the UK, now you might be surprised about this because I think everybody has this image in their mind of, you know, England's green and pleasant land. But actually, <laughs> it's far from the truth. Uh, oh, God, it, it so far is. It's no, so far from the truth. truth. I yeah. mean, the UK was rated the most nature depleted country in the world, one of the most nature depleted countries in the world. And that may come as a, a huge shock. Uh, yeah. So we are, we are not even in the top half. We are world beaters at showing how not to look after the natural world weren't we tempt from the bottom or something uh we were we were pretty low <laughs> we were let's not go into the units and, and i just think my god if we're tenth and bottom what on earth do, do the others you know yeah exactly yeah what the hell's going on elsewhere <laughs> mm. But this is it. And and then, of course, on top of that, you've, you've got what everybody sees every day. They go out, they see hedgerows, mechanised, flailed to death, gaps in them. Yeah. You see verges sprayed, the first dandelion that pops up. Weed, it's a weed, kill it, kill it. You know, and, you know, and we, <laughs> that we know that these flowers are essential for early early spring bees. I mean, mm. what is it? What is wrong with some dandelions on the road verges. No, they must be scrimmed into submission. The hedgerows must be flailed to death. We cannot allow nature to, you know, rear its ugly head anywhere. (laughs) Don't you think there was like a turn in, I don't know, maybe you can correct me on this, but like suddenly... Some people suddenly saw nature as this disgusting thing rather than this thing to aspire oh. to go and see or have. Oh. There was suddenly oh, like yeah. this, oh, God, you can't have that there. Because it will attract X, Y, or Z. And you're like, well, why is it that attract wildlife. Oh, my oh, God. God. No. God, not wildlife. <laughs> not wildlife. God, Jesus. No, I mean, and of course, now we've got our garden. I mean, gardens are, gardens should be a wonderful place. I mean, they, mm. they, they really should be. Garden, the area of gardens in England are five times greater than all the national nature reserves added together. And yet it is a place not of haven for insects. It is they're sprayed, they're poisoned, they're strimmed. There are plants there that offer no food for bees at all. Uh, And now the hideousness of the artificial lawn, which is rolling out. (laughs) I know, which is rolling out in all these... You've got to give me a warning before you say that, George. You can't just bring up artificial grass. (laughs) I mean, I remember... As a boy watching or seeing a, a cartoon in, in a magazine or, or a newspaper about the garden of the future and the, you know, the, the, the father was hoovering his lawn, you know. <laughs> well, it's come. It's come to pass. It, I know. You know they're, they're hoovering the lawns. They are spraying them with some fragrance that makes it smell like lawn. Uh, <laughs> I saw you know. that. What? Oh, jeez. Mighty. 
God. Mother oh of God. God. Mother, Mother of God. God. What is happening? Mother of God. What is happening? Listen um, here, fella. <laughs> and, and it all decays and disintegrates into the waterways anyway. Mm. And now we learn that there's even microplastic in our blood, for God's sake. In our blood. I know. Do you know what I find hard with all this, though, as well? I think what? sometimes I step back because, Jesus, you were right. It was going to get heavy this episode, weren't it? We've got to like, we'll keep, we'll keep it light. We'll, I'll, let's talk about an animal in a minute and I'll, we'll pick it up <laughs> just for the listeners to have a bit of a <laughs> mellow, mellow middle of a the breather. episode. Um, but I guess sometimes I think about all these from artificial grass to people just absolutely destroying, whether it's their gardens or whether it's, it's something else. And I just. <laughs> but it's the attitude, Brian. It's, yeah. well, it's my garden. It's my garden. I can do what I want with it. It's this uh, culture it's so of the hard individual. It's so to not be in that, though, because so it's, many it, w- people have forced this stuff. Is that you need this. You need plastic grass. It's easier. You need weed killer. You need ant killer. You need this car. You need this. Do you know what? It's, it, it's so in your face. It's so hard to step out of that and go, I don't need that. I, I, yeah, I don't need it. Yeah. You know, when I see someone, if I walk down, I saw on my road the other week an artificial grass company van outside a house. Now, I could st- I, I could stand there in front of that house and be like, what the f- are you doing? Why are you doing that? Mm. But at the same time... Oh, he said it, the F word. I, I, <laughs> don't worry, the listeners are used to that. Um, oh, but, well, you didn't tell me that at the start. I, I could have used it. <laughs> I could have used it 10 times already. <laughs> oh, fill, fill the boot. Don't worry about it. Um, but I, I, I was more angry at the company for existing but then at the same time, there's going to be a... Dip. So it's, it's kind of like, where where do you focus it? Like, is it talking to the company? Is it talking to the consumer? But the, cons- the consumer's just in the society that we are in, where it's pressured to be clean, tidy, bacteria-free, don't let your kid go near a snail, God forbid. And it's... I don't know. I, I, it's, right, it's if I knew focus. what the answer was, if I knew what the answer was, I, I would be president of the world. <laughs> I would be head of the UN. And the rest of it, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. Uh, education is probably the only True. way. But but then but then look at the other issue of people dropping garbage everywhere. I mean, yeah. there were programs against this when I was a kid at school. There were campaigns keep Britain tidy. There was endless campaigns about this. So it's not as if we haven't had education about things. We have, and yet we still we drive along any road, walk along any path, and you will see garbage. Yeah. Tin cans, bottles, crisp packets, drinks cartons, whatever. And now we're hanging dog poo up on bags on the trees. I mean it's just I mean yeah, I, don't even, I tell you, yeah. I I find it very I find it very difficult. I feel sorry for my long suffering wife and children and grandchildren. <laughs> oh, Oh dear, George is off on one again. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. If we just walk ahead, he'll, just, he'll just, calm just down like in a minute. Who left this bloody mission? <laughs> I know, but it does. It, it makes me mad, and and mm. of course, but and you do feel helpless because you think, well, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to get hold of these people and say, look, explain it to me. Explain to me mm, why yeah. you think it's okay. So you've come to this beauty spot, presumably because it is a beauty spot and this is what you like. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why do you come at all? And yet you leave behind your detritus, which is not as heavy as when you brought it. Because it's the empty packets. You know, t- 
try to explain to me so that I can understand the way your mind works and we can perhaps think about a way to put it right, which, which maybe that's doesn't what involve I should be a maybe gun. I should, we, <laughs> maybe I should get some, can you imagine just getting some people that happily litter and just chatting to them on the podcast being like, yeah, why did it, someone's doing it. <laughs> so, a, lot, a lot of people are doing Don't it. Don't all right? hide a and tell me you're people. not littering because someone out there is doing it. I've seen it. <laughs> exactly. There are a lot of people doing it. And, and I, it would be really interesting. I mean, the thing is, would, they, would their love of being in the limelight, of being on a TV show or a radio show, be greater See, why don't they agree? Are they ashamed of it? If they are ashamed of it, why do they do it? Do they know it's yeah. wrong? They must know it's wrong. Otherwise, they'd be queuing up to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I drop garbage all the time, mate. Yeah, just chuck it out the window. I don't care. <laughs> you know, no, it's interesting. You made that sound like it was Londoners then. <laughs> all right. I'll... That's that. That was incredibly racist. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, well, I'd chuck it in the window. I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Flip me fag ends, you know, my, 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 my whiskey bottle, aye, into the hedgerow, aye. Right, let's keep it light. Favourite insect, come on. Oh, light. <laughs> well, can I just say, to make it a bit more light, mm. we all get down now and then, Ryan, I'm sure you do. I do indeed, yeah. But no matter how depressed about something or how unhappy I am, there's one thing that always makes me feel better, and that is going for a nice walk in a forest, a woodland, and the yes. older, the more ancient, but the the, more, the less people there are, <laughs> the more wild it is, the happier I am. A woodland walk is like a woodland walk is like an hour's of therapy, it's, isn't it? It's it's yeah, and it's free as yes. well. <laughs> you don't have to pay for it. But the the other thing, of course, is is don't go for a, a fast walk. I I abhor fast walks. I don't want aerobic exercise. I don't want a power walk. I want a slow walk. And I want to keep my head down and look at stuff. And a mile will take me a couple of hours minimum. Nice. Because what I'm doing is I'm turning over stones. I'm looking under bark. I'm just sitting for five or ten minutes looking at a patch of flowers. And to see what's coming and going, to really look at what you're looking at, is not a trivial thing. These insects that are flying about and crawling about it's not a trivial thing you're looking at the biological mechanism of of what it is to be on earth this is the stuff that makes it all work and that just to sit quietly and just absorb that think about it is the best tonic you could ever have i totally agree and you know i'm going to echo what you said that because sometimes I mean, I think my my listeners will know this, and I think we've advised it on the show. But like, you know, the, the world currently, twenty twenty two, is is a tricky place daily, and there are challenges. And we can, like you and I are doing now, George, talking about you know the the natural world in the UK and beyond across the years, and it's not a pretty conversation to have because there's constant challenges as you know society and te- technology and the economy has grown and, and moved forward. But going for that walk and stepping away from that and trying to find, even if it is just your local park and it's just a tiny bit mm. of green space or something and just slowing down and looking and mm. you'll find, you'll lift a log and you'll see some slugs and then you'll look at them and you go, it's okay because you lot aren't pricks. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, you lot are fine. Like, <laughs> you're keeping me going. Like, I think just suddenly connecting with something that is more real than 
I don't know. I don't know if real's the right word there, well, but it just it grounds me, I guess. Uh, um, absolutely. Uh, and the, the realisation that, of course, we are newcomers on the planet, uh, insects. Mm. Insects alone have been around for over 400 million years. They first on land, first in the air. They are the reason that complex ecosystems exist at all. Yeah. And uh, we just come along in the last whisper of time and go, oh, right then. What can we? What can we <laughs> what take? Can we <laughs> what can we take from this? All of it. Let's take all of it. We'll all I of blame it the Bible. Nothing. You know, I blame the Bible. <laughs> well, no, I do. I do because in the Bible it says very clearly that man shall have dominion over all the animals of the of the land and the plants and everything uh, to do with uh, as he pleases. Well, I think we've done exactly that, yes. and I think it's been an absolute bloody disaster. Well, I mean, that, I think that's fair to say. Um, George, you're an entomologist. Well, I've got five, is it five or, five or six it's that have been named after my... I can't remember because I, I don't keep track of these things. But I think there's five or six insects that have been named in my honour. So new, wow. new species that have been found. But I know it's not up to Attenborough's standards. You know, he gets, he gets a squid and an extinct dinosaur and a few other things and boats and things named after him. Yes, but it's, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty you happy. Be, I've got a, are they? I've got a, 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 a shield bug from Borneo. Uh, That's good. Plant hopper from Indonesia. No, a plant hopper from Africa. Something from Indonesia. There's, a, there's an earwig, I think. <laughs> oh, I can't remember. And a spider, is, I think, as well. This is one of the greatest chats I've had with anyone ever. Yeah. Just like trying to think. What did I, I had a grasshopper in, in, in Kent. I had. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's great fun. But of course, you know, this, this is the point. There are. We, we've only described a million and a bit insects, and we, we think there are probably, or there were, mm. eight million undescribed insects out there. That will get less and less and less. And if we continue to fell the rainforest, like Mr. Bolsonaro seems to be doing single-handedly, uh, <laughs> by the end of this century, we will certainly have lost 50% of the, the rainforest that currently exists. And mm. with it... 50% of all species on Earth, because we think that's exactly where they live. So at least 50% of all species on Earth live in tropical, moist forests. And if we cut them all down, they're gone. they did. Yeah, it's as simple as that. You remove their home, they've got nowhere else. Yeah. Um, before we move on and talk about the Dorset Wildlife Trust, of which you are president of, mm. let's see, what do you think over your career thus far... What have we, or either almost got right, or what are we getting right, or what areas of thinking are we on the right track with restoring nature in the UK? So, <laughs> uh, it's a head scratch. <laughs> some people have always had the right idea, and I'm a great supporter of the wildlife trusts in general mm. because you know you you can't rely on governments to do the right thing because they are in it for the short haul. Politics in general is a, is a short-termist game. It's, it's, it's three years tops, a couple of years, and you'll do whatever you have to do to get in the next time. Yeah. Uh, and what we're up against are long-term issues. Uh, so the, the wildlife trusts in restoring, in preserving habitat, wild habitat, and the species therein, do an incredibly 
useful job and make sure that we're you know if if you're in a part of the world where you have a wildlife trust you should join it you should support it if you like the natural world if you like having a walk in a woodland as opposed to on a, a concrete pavement uh join it support it mm. you know let your kids play in it out there and and make it work yeah that's nice. That's a nice thing to. I, I think that's something we forget to do quite a lot. Even myself. Do you know what I mean? Like actually going to explore these organisations that are, mm. are doing something. And the more you support, the more they're going to be able to continue and grow. I think they are. They are almost universally good things. Yeah. Uh, and to to join as a family for a year is not a huge amount of cash, uh, but that cash is used to great effect. And we now have farms farmland that have been intensively farmed beginning to come online and be bought by wildlife trusts who can then restore them and very often all you need to do is just make them not drained anymore so just block the drains up make it worse again it will become a wildlife haven in two shakes of a lamb's tail uh but we need to we we know what to do right we know what to do yeah. Uh, we just have to get on and do it. And look at the the feet dragging over a cop. I mean, you know, they, all this blah, blah. I mean, to paraphrase Miss Thunberg, yes, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> There's a, been a hell of a lot of blah, blah, blahing. But nobody wants to do it because people are going to have to accept a different standard of life. And the ones who, who have don't want to lose anything. And the ones that have not would like to get a little bit more, and it's difficult. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So you're you're president of uh, Dorset Wildlife Trust. Um, yes, I love which Dorset. Sounds incredible. Do I you? Know. I, I know. I, I I was hoping that when they offered me it, I said, "Well, I I, I don't actually <laughs> live in Dorset." <laughs> yeah, I was hoping I could relocate. Yeah, or. <laughs> They might offer me a beach hut or a, or a shepherd's hut that I could just live in, so like some house on the, like on the some beach hermit. Place. Yeah, I know that, that I was expecting a shack somewhere, you know, with a window I could just open up and go hello. We can give or you even a, a wave of beachfront. Yeah, yes, anything, <laughs> anything, guys. Yeah, um, but so no. What's, what's happening for wildlife down in Dorset and for the Dorset Wildlife Trust? What are the goals for for them currently? Well, we we've got a pretty ambitious. A program to take us up to 2030, which uh, let's not forget, guys, it's only eight years away. Eight it's years, not 2030. like a million miles away, is it? No. And what we want to do is get a lot more people involved. We want more people to join, of course. We know that wildlife and the natural world makes a huge contribution to all our well beings and our way yeah. of life, our quality of life. We accept the natural world is having a bit of a state in a bit of a state driven by climate change, by environmental degradation. Nature is declining. We want to reverse that. We want to to put it on a a wilder footing, mm. and we want everybody to be involved because we think it'll allow people to live a healthier, more fulfilling life. And we just have to get on with it. So we want more space for the natural world. We want 30% of our land, if possible, to be managed for the benefit of the natural world. Yeah. We want people to be inspired and empowered. We want, say, a quarter of people in the, you know, to do something, to take action, 
Mm. That's that's all you need to bring wildlife back. So we're we're aiming for a wilder place in eight, eight years, which is not very long. I think that word empowerment there is quite important as well in all of that, because I, I really think, like you said, like we, we talk about restoring nature, we talk about having these wild areas back, and we really can't do it unless people are empowered to, to actually bring it back in the first place. And to do that, you've got to look at wildlife, you've got to learn about it, and then you've got to love it. Yeah. Look, look, learn, <laughs> love, and love then it. you want to do something. You've got to love it. And you, then you'll do something about it. Yeah. You, then you'll realise that, you know, you don't want to live in a world where there is nothing else yes, but, but us. God, what a miserable thought. <laughs> Don't come to London. <laughs> I lived Don't there for it. three years. Yeah. Where did you live in London? In, in Clam. Clapham. In where? Clapham. Clap- oh, Clapham. Clam. Clapham. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Clapham, yeah. yeah. And I cycled in, I cycled from Clapham into the museum in South Kensington. Every day for wow. three years, come rain or shine. Mind you, that, that was a while ago. I'm not sure I'd r- <laughs> risk it now, I'm afraid. I don't, I don't think the cycle routes are there anymore, George, let alone yeah. be able yeah. want to be able to do it. Um, so my penultimate question for you, George, is uh, what would you like to see more of, whether that be an individual species or you know, systematic changes to, for wildlife and nature in the UK? I'd like people to think about the natural world in a more holistic way. So mm. we want more trees. I've been to a, a, um, a country recently, a hot country, where they basically cut down every tree they can get their hands on. It will be uh, insufferable. <clears throat> it will be unbearable. It'll be too hot. Yeah. We know that trees c- cool the earth uh, and appreciably cool the earth. So let's not just plant citrus spruce everywhere some alien tree let's let woodlands and forests regenerate let's let them regrow in 50 years we we don't we 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 shouldn't just have to plant stuff although let's plant stuff of the right kind yeah let's protect stuff actually protect land let's make the green belt or green belts actually mean something because Mm -hmm. when i was a kid the green belt meant something. It means nothing now. It just means that you may have to bribe somebody a bit more. You know, that, that's what it <laughs> feels to me. That's such a good way of looking at it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It means you need more cash. Let's, yeah, a bit more cash. Let's, let's give nature a place. If we don't, if we don't do it, Ryan, it's going to be a world that I will not wish to be part of. And happily, I'm 67, nearly 68 if we if we if we don't do this right, I'm going to be gone anyway. And I and to be honest, I wouldn't want to see it being any worse than it is today. Well, I hope we've got your back. I hope I've got my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really, I I think I I, I think because woodlands are so good at doing it on their own. Yeah, like like you said, you know, put, put maybe in some areas where they need a bit of help, but the majority yeah. of woodlands just let them do it. Every tree that gets cut down, every mature tree that gets cut down, for whatever reason, is a disaster. Yeah. And I, I don't care what they Oh, it's just one tree and we'll plant, we'll plant 50 other oak trees just <laughs> like it. No, they won't because they won't survive. They won't be looked after. Mm. They'll be eaten by rabbits and deer uh, and they won't survive. Yeah. So, you know, it, let's get serious about this, you know. That there should be a presumption against cutting a mature tree down, a complete presumption. There should be 
only the very serious arguments should allow that to go. So the last question of the podcast, I'm really intrigued of what you're going to say to this, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Is if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding the natural world, what would you pass on? Oh, God. Best start. That was a great start. (laughs) No. Uh, Well, can I make it easier on myself? Of course you can, George. Can I say what I would pass on to every kid under the age of 10? Yes, you can. Okay, okay. Buy yourself a hand lens. Go out and ask your parents, or buy one yourself, get yourself a times 10 hand lens. Okay. That will allow you to look at the natural world in a way that you never imagined. Bryophytes and mosses and flowers and insects and spires will just become these incredible things that you never imagined. And it's a simple thing. It'll only cost you a basic times 10 hand lens will cost you between five and 10 pounds. Wow. And that is, an inv- that, that is something that you will keep with you mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. There we go. What a great bit of advice. I'm, I'm going to buy one. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have one. I don't. No. And I'm looking under logs and things all the time. <laughs> buy yourself a hand lens. I'm going to get my hand, uh, hand lens. And then I'll come to Berkshire. Yeah. Let's go to Swindley Forest. <laughs> let, let, well, I would love that. I mean, if you came out, we could do a recording in the wild in Swindley Forest yes, doing exactly do what we like doing best. Yeah, let's do it. George, we'll get it in the diary. Make it happen. <laughs> George, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And um, yeah, let's let's get a date in and we'll go insect spotting in Swindley Forest. Brilliant. Lovely. Take care, man. Good. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. If you would like a shout out on the show or to be put into a draw to win a free Into the Wild podcast mug, yes please, then all you have to do is review the show on iTunes or Spotify or both and send me a screen grab, take part in our weekly nature highlight share every Sunday on Instagram, or you can tip Into the Wild via our Ko-fi link in the write-up of this episode. Of course you can do all three of those things and increase your chance of winning the monthly mug. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.